You know, sometimes the Christmas story seems so distant, so fairy tale like, that it's hard for us to, in reality, embrace some of the things that took place to understand all that took place. And unfortunately, that happens a lot. It happens in our hearts, it happens just in how we live our lives. We distance ourselves from the impact that is that this day represents, that Christmas represents. Let's open up our scriptures here and turn to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. I'm only going to touch on one verse this morning. And I don't know if you saw all the goodies that were back there. I know some of you did because you, you helped yourself and started eating them right away. And that's okay. Uh, but I, I want to give uh, some time. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and, and they'll get you one. Um, I wanted to just spend a little time and then give you guys some time. It's raining outside. You don't have to rush out back into the rain. You could hang out in here. You can go get some coffee, get one of those little cinnamon rolls. They look really good. Um, someone gave me a packet of Butterfingers. Thank you. Um, I've been trying to do so good, and now you've ruined You've ruined me. Uh, so when I gain all my weight back, I will blame whoever you are. Uh, I hope you'll stick around and enjoy each other's company afterwards. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it reads, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I wonder, how many of us were given a name that had a specific meaning. In other words, your parents named you this because it meant this. Does anyone have a name where their parents specifically named them something that it had meaning? Okay. How many of you were named after your father? Hopefully only men will raise their hands. <laughs> okay. And how many of you were named after your mother? Yeah, there's... Not as many of those. Something about the guys, huh? This is my son. He will bear my name and bring forth many children to, to honor me. And my guys have a little more ego, I think, in this regard. How many of you were named after a relative, someone else in your family, an uncle, grandfather? How many of you were named after a saint? They gave you a name after a saint, a few of you. How many of you were given more than... One name. How many of you were given a middle name as well? You have a, a first, middle, and last. How many of you have two middle names? Like, you know, John Paul George something, you know. <laughs> they like the Beatles. I don't know. So you have like two middle names. How many of you have three middle names? There, Anyone else? Wow. Okay. I'm not going to ask if you have four middle names because you probably have a huge family and they just had to please everyone, okay? We got to name you this, 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 and this because we got lots of relatives. You know, it's interesting how we get our names and sometimes we're given names because they are specific in meaning. And 
Jesus, the name Jesus means God is salvation. You could actually translate it as Savior. It means salvation. And so his name Joshua in Hebrew translates to Jesus. And I remember when I was reading through the New Testament, when I first came to faith and started reading the Bible, you know, I was told to read the New Testament. So I started at the beginning in Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 1, it talks about another passage in chapter 7 of Isaiah it says, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And I thought, wow, his name is, is Emmanuel. And then later on, they called his name Jesus, and I was confused. They didn't get the memo. He was supposed to be named Emmanuel, you know, and they, they named him Jesus. And, and I was just trying to figure out why. why. What's with all these names? But you see, the idea Emmanuel, God with us is presenting who and what Jesus really is. It's presenting that this is indeed God stepping into to human history. That's the Christmas story. And what it is, is more than just a time, but it's an involvement. I remember when I was young, we, we used to have the Christmas tree, and our Christmas tree was always nine foot tall, flocked with that fake snow, had blue lights and blue bulbs, and you had to lay the tinsel on one at a time. If you're a kid, that's just torture, you know. It's like, no, I've got a handful of tinsel, I want to throw it, you know, but one at a time. And I can remember Barbara Streisand Christmas playing on the record. And, and you know, it, the funny thing is, even though I listened to Led Zeppelin, I liked it. There was something that was just alluring and comforting about the season, the, the, the ambiance and all the things that you saw in it. And this idea of God caring about us, that God stepping in, being intentional, being engaged, being involved with us, that he is not leaving us or abandoning us or letting us go, but actually cares, has purpose for our lives, is a, an amazing thing. And even if you think of it just in the back of your mind, just that thought that God cares enough to be involved, to step into history, to involve himself with us in the middle of our messes, in the middle of our crisis, that he would come for us and just bring us this whisper of hope. And as great as it was, all the lights and all the, the sounds and, of course, all the food, there was also a little disappointment with Christmas, because it would end. And it would be like, this is supposed to mean something more. This is, this is here for a reason. Is it just here to open the presents? And I love the presents. I still remember some of them. But there would be this kind of letdown, just like, oh, I guess that's all there is. You know, I love when the season comes and they're cooking in the kitchen. And you can smell the ham or you know, the, the turkey or the tamales or whatever it is you eat at Christmas time. And I love the aroma of food. You ever go into a bakery and they're baking fresh bread? Oh, bread, that's a weakness. And there's all these kinds of breads and they have cheeses on them, they have onion, 
on it, and some have jalapenos in it, you know, and garlic bread, and I'm getting off topic here, okay. You just love the fragrance, but you know what? Just going in and smelling that isn't enough. I, I, if I, I mean, last week, Alex made chorizo burritos for everyone who was here helping set up. Just letting you know, if you'd like to set up, there's a sign-up sheet in the back if you'd like to help. And, oh, man, the place just smelled so good. And you see, I was not going to eat one because if I eat a chorizo burrito before I speak, I'm liable to be doing this, you know, like, uh, indigestion. I just like, and I'm trying to, you know, watch my figure. And I'm just like, I wasn't going to go there. And so I was like, no, I can't do it. But I, there they were. There was a basket of burritos just smelling so wonderful and everyone is eating them and grinning and swaying back and forth and, and I just could not resist it and so I, I took one and I ate it and it was glorious you know it was like yes you see it's not enough to just see it it's not enough to just smell it you have to actually taste it and I think what happens with Christmas is a lot of times people, they see it. They see the beauty, the ambience, the, the meaning, and they have the aroma of what it's supposed to be, but it stops there. They're not connected to the source, and so it becomes a little bit dissatisfying. And then there's always those things that you see that look delicious, they're just beautiful. In fact, if I ever go out to a restaurant, you know, if you want to sell me food, put a picture. Because when I see a picture, that's what I want. You know, we'll go to, you know, whatever it is. There's that, you know, California Pizza Kitchen. They have like a menu that's 20 pages. I can't read all that, but I can look at the pictures. And I'll find a picture and I'll go, wow, look at that. You know, and, and I, I'm just drawn to that. I, I'm very shallow, like, all the men here probably who are, you know, the same way as me. I mean, guys, do you look at the pictures and buy the food? One honest man in the group. Uh, I, I just go there and I want what I'm seeing here. And sometimes you see this and it just seems so good. And then you buy it and then it, it doesn't match what it looks like. It lets you down. It smelled good. It looked wonderful. But then you taste it and it just, uh and, and that, that should be a crime. That should be against the law. There should be police who go around and say, I'm sorry, this does not match what it's supposed to be. You have to get it out of the kitchen. And I think a lot of people have had that experience with Christmas as well, where the idea of what it's supposed to be and they go to church and it becomes a religion and it just becomes regulations and it becomes less than what they had hoped for. And here as Isaiah is bringing forth who this son of God is going to be, this prophetic picture of Jesus, he gives us a list of names. Because even though Emmanuel means God with us, and that should be big enough, it doesn't fully describe all he is. And the thought of God being with us should have some amazing things. And of course, the life of Jesus did. The miracles of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. These are testimonies that this was indeed God with us. This isn't just something fabricated. 
But Isaiah moves further and he starts talking about some of these things. And the first thing he does is he mentions a wonderful counselor. And the idea of a counselor is not just someone who who gives you information, but they also give you perspective. They give you a healthy perspective to understand a circumstance that you're in. Because sometimes it's not about the information, it's about seeing things in the right perspective, having a deeper understanding. A friend of mine is going through just an awful divorce. And they called me the other day, and they just started telling me all the things that were going on that were just tormenting them. And then they told me how they were lashing back out and responding and being bitter back. And it felt so good to be able to tell the person who was hurting them all the thoughts that they had about them, how they thought they were evil, how they thought just it was. And they went on and told me these things. And as they told me this, I was able to stop and say, you know, I know it feels good, but think about what you're doing. You're finding comfort in bitterness. And now what makes you feel good is actually being bitter. And it's going to poison your soul if you go there and if you stay there. And later on, they sent me a text and they said, thank you. I didn't see that. I actually apologize because I don't want to be that way. See, all the things that they were saying were true, but a different perspective, being able to see them coming alongside them and helping and holding them and saying, look, at this is how you're seeing things, but this is what's going to happen. Counsel is someone who comes alongside of you and helps you in that way. And to think of God as being a wonderful counselor, someone who can bring goodness back to our souls. Because I don't know about you, but even if I have all the right information, if I'm in the wrong place, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, then I taint what I decide to do. doesn't matter if I know everything. It usually comes about when I am in a bad place, I make bad decisions. Because I'm relationally not doing well. Spiritually, I'm not doing well. Emotionally, I'm not doing well. And out of me comes the evidences of those things. I don't make good decisions. But if I have a little bit of information, hardly any information, but I'm doing well relationally, I'm doing well spiritually, emotionally, I'm healthy, then my decisions tend to be good. And so what we need is not God to give us all the information. What we need is God to make us whole to be our counselor, to come beside us and to give us health. Spiritual health, emotional health, relational health. To help us to see things clearly. And if you've ever received good counsel, you know how refreshing it is. When someone speaks into your life and they give you counsel, that lifts the cloud that you've been under, you know how important it is. And so one of the names given to Jesus is also a wonderful counselor, someone who's able to come beside us and help us through this. 
Another name that's given. The next one is Mighty God. Now, when I think of the word mighty, I think of strong, mighty God, warrior God. But, you know, in the Hebraic term, the the word mighty actually also means masterful. And where we want to do things by strength, by, you know, just being brute strength, God's a lot more masterful. I remember one time when I was working in construction and I was doing fire sprinklers. We had to go demo some sprinkler system that was in this building that had been there for years and had been rusted and, you know, this pipe was just not moving. And I remember going up there and I had the 24-inch pipe wrench and I was pulling on that thing for all I could... Man, I was my veins were popping out of my neck and I'm just... Like this. And I finally I ended up calling and said, I can't do this by myself. I'm going to need someone to help me because I can't get this pipe out of here. And so they sent this other guy, and he was smaller than me. His name was Alex, not this Alex that we know. But I thought, why they sent Alex? They needed to send Mark. Mark was 200 pounds. Mark had you know, a lot of brawn behind him. They sent Alex. Alex had been in the business a lot longer than I, had a lot more experience than me. And Alex said, what's the problem? I said, this pipe, man, I've been, I can't get it. I have this, you know hold back bar and I'm pulling on it. I got the 24 inch. I tried the chain, you know, tong. I can't get this thing to move. And he goes up there and he pulls out just this little 14 inch wrench. It's like a small wrench. And he puts it on the pipe. I'm going, dude, I had the 24. Like, what are you doing? And then he goes and he gets this pipe that's 10 feet long and he throws it on the end of this wrench and he goes back 10 feet and he goes, dink. <laughs> and he pops the pipe. He goes, that was easy, and I'm like, it's like part of me is like, wow, I learned something great, and part of me is like, wow, I've just been humiliated, you know. (laughs) But you see, he had a masterful way of fixing something where mine was brute. You know, it was all about just being strong. It was all about having that idea of, you know, being brutish. And God's not brutish. We are. And we think we transfer that to God and think, oh, God's going to do this. God's just going to come in and change the situation. You know, it's kind of that Bruce Banner Hulk thing. You know, right now you like me, but you won't like me when I'm mad, you know. And God's not like that. He doesn't coerce us, but he loves us and draws us by his love to change us, gives us himself And you find out that the strongest thing really in this world is love. That the mightiest thing in this world that's able to change people is love. And so God is masterful. He's not just strong. Oh yeah, he's strong. But he's masterful. goes on and it tells us that the everlasting father. Now this brings relationship into it. See, I I like the idea of God being, you know, mighty God and just having these titles. But now when he he brings in this idea of father, it touches a chord. It touches a chord with me because I never had a real father growing up. And then when I became one, I was kind of at a loss of what it meant, but I knew what I didn't want my kids to do. I didn't want them to grow up without a dad like I grew up. And and I remember Jesus' words 
telling the fathers, if your fathers, if your child comes to you and, and asks for bread, will you give them a stone? If they ask for a fish, are you going to give them a serpent? And you see, the idea of a father is the idea of connection, this idea of relationship, this idea of involvement, of love, protection, my name, I give to you. You are a part of who I am. There's an identity connection here. And God is wanting to step into this relational aspect of who he is with us. And that's where it gets a little bit uncomfortable. That's where it's pressing in on us and it's touching us in a personal way. To call you my father, that has to deal with endearment, hopefully. And God is wanting to step into that. He's wanting to to bring relationship into this picture so that we can understand that he's not just out there, but he wants to be close. And he presses into this close relationship. And then last of all, it says Prince of Peace. And that's just beautiful. There's another translation that says Chief of Well-Being. And I thought, that's kind of cool. He's the Chief of Well-Being. And, and you know, we live our lives so many times and we, we split up who we are. We dissect ourselves and uh, I've got my work life, I've got my family life, I've got my friends, I've got my dreams, my spiritual life. But we need to realize that this idea of well-being has to thread through all of those. That you can't just be well in your work life and terrible in your family life. That means you're not well. There's not going to be peace in your life if one of these areas are out of whack. And so what we need is continuity in the whole of who we are. What we need is someone who can bring peace into this whole situation. All of that involves who we are. To be able to bring a sense of well-being, peace into who we are. And sometimes we just don't know how to do that. Sometimes we are just trying to to find the bread, but all we do is find the aroma, and we don't know where it's at. And we need someone else's help to get there. I remember when I was younger, my parents took me to the circus. I forget which one, but it was a big one. It was at the sports arena, I think. And after the circus was over, they were selling chameleons, the lizards. The guy had one on a chain hooked to his sweater. I don't think they can do that anymore. I think it's illegal. But anyway, this guy had this chameleon, and I wanted a, a chameleon. And I said, look at that lizard, so cool. It changes colors. Can I get one? Can I get one? And they said yes. And so I got this lizard, and I got a little chain that you could hook on it, and they gave me a little box of food, lizard food, is this white box with some blue writing on it. And I took the lizard home and I put it in this little cage that I had. I thought, cool, I've got a lizard. And I'd put different colored things in there to see if I could make it change color. And then I started to feed it and I opened the box and there was like this, you know, it looked almost like sawdust. And so I started pouring the sawdust food out there and he didn't eat it. And days went by. I poured some more food. He's not eating his food. I don't know what's going on. And then my lizard died. I thought, man, 
That didn't last very long. It was like a week, and then he's dead. What a rip. And then as I threw the rest of the food out, I saw that at the bottom of the sawdust were all these worms. I know. I starved my lizard to death. I didn't know that they were supposed to eat worms. No one, no one gave me the instructions. It said it on the box, but I didn't read. And so I didn't know that what this lizard needed were actually the worms that the sawdust did him no good. You know, I'd pour the sawdust out and he's looking at me going, you kidding me? What's going on? They sell me to someone like you. And I think sometimes our lives are, are like that. We just don't know. We don't know what's necessary to bring us well-being. We don't know what we need to bring us peace. And we try so many things. Do any of you do Christmas lights on your house? Who does Christmas lights? My heart goes out to you. I, I've gotten good at it now. After being in this home for... 21 years, I finally got a system. And now that the kids are, are grown up, it's really easy. I've got nails already underneath the eaves. I got a couple of strings. I can throw them up and I'm done. It's real simple now. But when the kids were younger and we used to have to be a little bit more elaborate, we had to have angels and we had to have trumpets and trains and we had different colored lights. Oh my goodness, the torture I would go through putting up Christmas lights. You know, we did those icicle ones one time, and we started doing those, and I got them all up, and then we turn them on, and there's one that's burned out in the middle. And it's in the middle. How do I change the middle ones out? And so you, I'd go to, you know, Home Depot and get another set and bring it in, and then it would burn out the ones down here. And it was like, what is going on? Somewhere along the line, these lights kept burning out. And it was like, I've been to Home Depot five times. I've spent $100 on Christmas lights. And every year I was having to buy new lights because the ones the year before broke. And what I found out is these lights had this little fuse in them. And if they would get too hot, the fuse would blow. And because, you know, we were trying to be Griswold Christmas or something like that, I would have all these lights connected to one another and this one light would say, I can't hold on, pap, and it'd blow out and it would go out. And it didn't matter. Somewhere one of them just could not hold on and they would give up the ghost and say, I'm done. And you see, the problem was that they could not hold on to that much. That the source was, they weren't connected directly to the source, they were tying into something else. And unless I had enough actual source electricity going to the right lights, they couldn't handle it. And a lot of us, we are just trying to be the source ourselves. We're trying to be the source of goodness. We're trying to be the source of peace. We're trying to be the source of all these things. And you end up burning out. And it doesn't matter if you get a new job, a new career. You get a new wife, a new husband, a, a new you know, dream. It doesn't matter what you keep replacing. Eventually, it, the source is not connected to the real source. You, you burn out. 
you fall short. And I think what happens a lot of times at Christmas is we get this idea of, wow, I, I want to do good. I want to show peace and love and kindness towards people. And, and those are all great things. But you see, Christmas is about the source of life, the source of light coming into the world so that we could connect to him. That we would recognize that he is a wonderful counselor. He's a masterful maker. To recognize that he is our everlasting father and the prince of peace and well-being. And what we need to do is stop trying to be all those things just by ourselves and connect to the one who is. The psalmist said in Psalm 34, verse 8, Taste and see. The Lord is good. Don't just smell the aroma. Don't just look at the picture. Taste and see. This almost also said that your love, O oh Lord, it's better than life. Better than life. All I know is life. Yeah, this is better. This is better. And so this Christmas, and, and what I wanted to share this morning, was that we would connect to the source of life, to recognize that in Jesus dwells the fullness of God stamped in a human flesh. And what we see in Jesus, we see the heart of God who gave himself for us, who loved us, who desires what is best for us. These are the things that God is offering to us. And, and I hope that instead of just enjoying the ambience of Christmas, that we will connect to Jesus, who is the source of life and the source of Christmas. Let's, let's pray. Father, it's a bit uncomfortable sometimes how close you press into our lives, how much you want to be involved. It's a lot easier to keep you distant. It's a lot easier to, to think of you as not being intentional. It's a lot easier to not have to have a conversation where you press in and ask of us. But Lord, it is overwhelming, humbling, and comforting to realize that you care so much about us, that you have created us with purpose, that you've created us for a relationship with you, that you desire to be not just a God, but our Father, a counselor. That you desire, desire to be someone who brings us peace and well-being. And Father, I pray that we would recognize
the importance of who you are and the need we have to connect to you. And that you would begin to change us from the inside out. That you would work within our lives, God. That you would have your way with us. I know that this is a, a time where you maybe have been invited by family to come, and, and I don't want you to feel pressured. I don't want you to think that we want you to join our church. What I really want you to do is begin a conversation with God yourself. To ask him to show you who he wants to be in your life, that he wants to be your counselor, your God, your father, your prince of peace. And ask him, what does that look like? What would you want me to do to connect to you? That's your conversation with God. And if you have that conversation, I believe the words of Jesus. If you ask, he will answer. If you knock, he will open. If you seek, you will find. And if we can be of help in that, we would love to be. If you have questions, I'd love to try and answer if I can. But really our desire here to, today is to help you to begin that conversation with God. And I pray that you would. Lord, bless this time your words. Enrich them to our souls, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.